Welcome to Museum Archipelago. I'm Ian Elsner. Museum Archipelago guides you through the rocky landscape of museums. Each episode is never longer than 15 minutes. So let's get started. Hi, my name is Blake Bradford. I am the director of the Lincoln University Barnes Foundation Museum Studies Program. I am a longtime museum educator, administrator, and nonprofit executive. In episode 36 of this podcast, Bill Bradbury, chair of the Niagara Falls Underground Railroad Heritage Area Commission, described encountering the glaring lack of cultural diversity within and around the museum industry when he first entered the field. He cited the Museum Studies Program at Lincoln University as an example of a program that was addressing the problem directly. I think the conversation you were having with Bill Bradbury about diversity, representation, and inclusion in the broader museum field, but then the implications for that in the the public-facing aspects of museums, I think that's really critical. I think what Bill Bradbury noticed about museums and maybe his first experience working with museums in the way that he has, there's something disappointing about the lack of representation. There's something disappointing about the ways that you don't see diverse populations on curatorial staffs, on you know decision-making voices within museums. You know, the numbers speak for themselves. And so it's something then it's like, how do we remedy that? And, and Moreover, before we get to how do we remedy that, are institutions even concerned about that? You know, museums, many of them are successful despite their lack of diversity. And so how do they respond to that? How do they change their paradigms when they may not even have like an incentive to change? And so I think programs like what we've been doing at Lincoln can help museums to really functionally do the right thing in a way that will serve them in the future. The Lincoln University Museum Studies Program is a partnership with the Barnes Foundation, based in Philadelphia, and Bradford sees the program as one of the ways to change the industry. Programs like what we've been doing at Lincoln provide some of the how. You know, you've got a a supply chain gap, if you will, between the institutions that have not been diverse, and many of whom have been wildly successful despite that, and then historical black colleges, for example, that have populations who are looking for economic sectors where there are opportunities for employment and opportunities for leadership. So how do we meaningfully connect these uh, uh, really uh, synergistic needs? It's unacceptable when you see an institution in a majority-minority city like Philadelphia, where if that institution represents as all of us, and they uh, benefit and are subsidized by all of us. So institutions are accountable in that way. So then how do they get to this point where you've got professionals coming into the field, a diverse body of professionals? And And I think that idea of diversity has to be expanded and, and has to be sort of authentic. Because when we talk about diversity, there's there's ways that it's like very safe, which then is like inherently not diversity. You know, the, the risk that they have to embrace in, in bringing people in who they may not have worked with before, who haven't been invited to participate before. 
So I think then the work at Lincoln, you know, for me, it wasn't just looking at the racial diversity, but it was also the diversity of participation levels. You know, Lincoln is a school with upwards of 60% of the students are the first in their family or the first in their generation to attend college. And when you look in museums, that white, black, Hispanic, I think is more of a marker of diversity than, than race, or at least as important as one. One of the elements of Bradford's curriculum is to encourage students to think critically about how the truth is established. A, a lot of what I emphasize for my students is critical analysis, their opportunity to delve into like why are things like they are or uh, an, an inquiry-based kind of investigation. I think for a lot of them, you know, they're, they're seeing things and they've never had a platform to ask those kinds of questions, you know. Why am I seeing what I'm seeing? How is meaning made? Why do people think this? What is the history? What we have to think about, and I bring it back to somebody like Fred Wilson in Mining the Museum, the choices of the stories that are told and what that represents in terms of power, passive and active, and how do we understand the way our conditioning has been conditioned. You know, how do we understand the way representation functions? And to ask questions, you know, I think some part of the equation has always been that the museum holds the truth. These are institutions that frame cultural value. When we talked about the visitor-centered museum, the way that the dialogue wasn't wasn't possible before. And so now to be able to ask critical questions about like, why are these things representing these values given this platform? And why are other things in some cases literally shoved aside? So, so giving kids uh, a way to understand how meaning is made, you know, how, how the truth is established and why some Stories are just stories and others are privileged to the point of even religion. So I think like looking at that, I feel like gives them a framework to, to move forward and to start thinking about those, those bigger issues and bigger opportunities and those, those questions, you know, any good curator or good researcher is asking like, what am I not seeing or what stories are not yet told? And, and whether that you're asking that in a, in a kind of critical way, uh, uh, critiquing an institution, or whether you're asking that as just part of like your own investigation, I think that gives them, that gives them a toolkit and you know, that'll grow as they grow. Another aspect of the curriculum is field trips to fabrication firms and companies that support museums by manufacturing physical or digital exhibits. When we talk about museum studies, there's a piece of it that's always the outward facing, you know, the curatorial, the educational, or the, the executive function, when there are so many people who contribute to this. And it was important for my students to see another facet of how those things get made, like literally the construction, the finishing, the design, all of that. And how do you understand all of the people who contribute to what you experience in a museum, and also the process in terms of all of these dialogues that happen 
and these perspectives that are brought to it. And many of my students, if they know anything about the museum, they will say, I want to be a curator. Yeah, and they, they expect that's one set of decisions to make. But there are so many people with different kinds of backgrounds who contribute to all of those things. It was really a great opportunity for students to see how an idea becomes something tangible, um, how many people are involved in that, what the process of those dialogues is, to, to really expose them to the level that it's not magic. We spoke just as the spring 2018 semester was ending. I asked Bradford to describe the ways his museum studies students surprise him. So I think for a lot of them, I guess I'll have to explain the idea, but a lot of them, it feels like they're almost post-museum. And by that, I think there's something about the way that museums, I don't want to say have had their moment, but they certainly have had their moment of monopoly around culture. And so when you think about what museums do in terms of being memory institutions and caretakers, storage facilities for culture, um, and, and culture being a very specific thing, I think ideas of it now are much more democratic and, and still driven by some of the same, we'll say universal urges around collecting and codifying and presenting. Um, museums have institutionalized those functions, and now those functions are becoming more distributed and across different kinds of platforms. And so like the kids don't necessarily know what their affinities might be with museums and museum practices, but it's like, if you have, I'm just gonna say, if you've curated an Instagram feed, if you built a YouTube page, those are things where you're looking at it and from your expertise, however deep or shallow, putting these things together, there's something like that in a, in a very personal way is what museums like aggregate into. Um, so, so I don't know that the kids are, and I'm calling them the kids, just that's more about me, me than it is them. But the ways that museums are these institutionalizations of these functions but there are so many other platforms, you know, making a Spotify playlist. I know those things are diminished by people in museums, but really that's, that's what museums have done. You know, there's still core functions that the museum will fulfill, but then the public that subsidizes and utilizes those things is going to dictate some other things. And I think there's an opportunity to listen to the public, and to think differently about maybe how you present an exhibition. This has been Museum Archipelago. We hope you enjoyed your visit. As you leave, consider becoming a member of Club Archipelago. In exchange, you'll get a members-only bonus podcast. This week, we visit Tsari Maligrad, a new museum complex in Bulgaria. You can join for $2 a month at patreon.com slash museumarchipelago. For more information or to submit feedback, go to museumarchipelago.com or museum underscore go on Twitter. Next time, bring a friend.